This is Mako President Jerry Walker, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with my co-host, Mako's Executive Director, Michael Sanderson. Hey, Kevin. How are we doing? I'm well. How are you today? Excellent. So today on the podcast, we're going to talk about school construction, stealing some of the Kerwin thunder. But don't worry, we'll still talk Kerwin naturally. We'll also talk about some well-earned praise for the Department of Legislative Services, and we'll also discuss newly elected officials and new county professionals heading to Annapolis to learn the ropes in the Maryland General Assembly and just the inner workings of Annapolis. So, Michael, let's jump into school construction, because yesterday the governor released a proposal that raised some eyebrows. I mean, last week we closed and we left a cliffhanger for our loyal followers and listeners saying this was going to be the week that we have all the details on the Kerwin proposal and we'll finally have all those numbers and those sideways sheets of paper that I've been dying for. Are you telling me we don't really have all that quite together yet? So we do have some new information, including some (laughs) new cost estimates, but we feel like this school construction announcement is is pressing. And Boom, yeah. by the way, the Kerwin discussion has been reduced now <laughs> to the second half of the show, so that should tell you something. But again, we can't not talk about the Kerwin Commission, so okay. we will get there. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to numbers in Kerwin. We got some of that. But yeah, school construction, uh, big announcement from the governor making some big and bold pledges about what he'd like to see as next steps on school construction commitments. Right. So the governor yesterday proposed earmarking $1.9 billion from the lockbox, which was approved by voters last month. And obviously that is all of the casino revenues that the state receives will go into a quote-unquote lockbox, and that money can only be used to supplement education funding and not supplant. Right. So above and beyond what we've been doing, above and beyond today's formulas, that's what's in the Constitution. And that was phased in, as I remember, the, the dollar amounts were actually put in the Constitution, so it's $125 million. It phases up right. to the full amount, which is a little over 500 mm-hmm. So over five years – Uh, The governor's pledge is a five-year pledge, and it matches up really well with basically the full amount of money that we think is the new set-aside for education, Right, basically saying we've got needs – but the needs are in the physical spaces. We need to we need to get on top of all these requests for new buildings, for renovations, for expansions. Right. And I, of course, we do have a backlog in requests for school construction across the state. Sure. But this creates an interesting dynamic because, as we know, the Kerwin Commission is going to recommend some big numbers. The General Assembly is going to have to figure out how to pay. But if the governor is coming out and saying, I want to put $1.9 billion, which is essentially all of the extra money that will come from the casino lockbox into public school construction, that could create an either-or situation in the General Assembly. Well, in the General Assembly and also maybe in the public eye. Absolutely. I mean, this ends up framing the debate over education commitment as one where there are multiple choices as opposed to simply – 
the, the commission is going to make recommendations about what we're doing. And people have kind of heard this in the breeze that uh, Maryland's underfunded schools, uh, you know, details have been relatively sparse, but I think a lot of people have that sense one way or another. So maybe up until this big recommendation, the whole debate was, do you or don't you make a new commitment to schools? Uh, the governor's idea is don't forget about the school buildings. We know that the place of learning affects the learning too. So his proposal is we can really tend to just about everything that's on everyone's needs list. I think, I think his, you know, they ran the numbers. They think they can get to 90% of the request lists of all the jurisdictions over the next five years. Yes. Um, by, by saying, let's take all this new pledged money. The Constitution says it's got to go to education. It includes school construction on the list of things that are eligible there. Let's dedicate it to school construction and we'll sort of solve this problem that we've been perpetually behind on. Now, Michael, it should be mentioned that the governor did introduce his own lockbox proposal last year in the General Assembly, and it did include earmarking some money to go directly to school construction. The General Assembly rejected that idea, but he will reintroduce legislation that will essentially do the same thing. The numbers might be different, but we're talking about all the education lockbox money going into school construction. Right. So so this, this looks like whether it's as a component in the budget or in a capital budget or in a standalone bill, any of those I think are possible. Um, however it's structured, it still ends up having to go through the General Assembly and get the blessing of the legislature as part of a fiscal plan. Right. Um, and it's also, I think it's interesting, you know, we've, all we've seen so far are the things in the newspapers and, and, and coverage. Uh, we've got some coverage on the Conduit Street blog that points that out. But, um, it sounds like the vehicle they have in mind is to use revenue bonds. Right. And last year's legislation was pay right. as you go, but this is a, a, right. a big You're going to stay out of bonds. Pay, right. you know, pay go right. as opposed to bonds. Right. Don't borrow at all. Just take the cash, take the cash and, and build stuff now. now. Yeah. Um, revenue bonds are a different animal. Uh, presumably what's going on there is, and we, we talked about this a little bit when we were, when we were picking apart the spending affordability report, when they were talking about debt limits at spending affordability, they were saying the state is getting modestly close to some of our debt limits. The bond houses like when you stay within, you set limits and stay within them, that sort of thing. Um, so the, the principal limit we look at is tax supported debt. That's a term of art in capital side. Mm -hmm. So the idea here has got to be if the only thing you're pledging are revenues from casino enterprises, from the slots and from table games, then as a practical matter, you haven't pledged tax revenues and it shouldn't be part of tax supported debt. So it wouldn't count in that debt calculation. So, so that's but, a way. Yeah. But would you pay more interest though if, if you do it that way? Right. So if I'm, if I'm a bondholder or yeah, I'm, I'm someone thinking about buying bonds or alternatively, if I'm Moody's trying to decide how to rate these, um, there's nothing better than full faith and credit of the government, which means we will go to all links necessary to pay off the, you know, pay off the bondholders. Um, in the event where you said, well, this is it. You've got, you've got this stream of revenue and that's what this is pinned to. If that stream dies up, dies out, then, then maybe your bonds aren't secure after all. Right. 
those are likely to be a lower rated and therefore higher interest rate bonds. So we may end up paying higher financing costs as a result of using a different mechanism. That's a little down in the weeds, but our Conduit Street followers kind of kind of like that. They stuff, like that, but that but that would keep <laughs> the tax supported debt lower. So some trade offs. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So obviously, as you mentioned, this proposal would have to go through the General Assembly. So this is not set in stone, but it does create a very interesting issue in the General Assembly and in the general public of what to do with this casino money. We all know that we want it to go directly to education, but the question here is where in education, capital or operating? Right. And, and the, the first, the first ripple effect of the announcement can already be seen as you have some legislators and some other stakeholders who are saying, well, I want to avoid this being an, an either or. Because I know, you know, my jurisdiction or I know across the state, we've got needs and facilities, whether it's you've got kids who are in trailers and relocatable classrooms or you've got old schools that have, you know, structural problems that you really can't solve without either giant renovations or, or just a replacement school. Um, all those things are happening all over the state. We're, we're used to seeing hundreds of millions of dollars of worthy projects that are really justified by the school popula- population and ready to go. They get, they're not funded because the state only has so many dollars to go around. Right. So, so this idea of let's double down on that. Let's clean up all the projects that are ready to go. Um, that's, you know, we haven't seen that spirit on school construction. So, so, um, there'll be a lot of people who will say, yes, I want to do that. Some of them will say, but not at the expense of operating funds and commitments to teachers and school outcomes and so forth that are all part of the Kerwin Commission. That should be on a separate track. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> They'll say we, we want to do both, which right, sure. obviously would, would at this point not be possible, most likely, but we'll see. Speaking of school construction, Michael, the state – has yet to commit its share of school construction projects for fiscal year 20. So essentially the state pays a certain amount of school construction projects and it depends on your jurisdiction exactly how much the state pays. And we, we don't want to get into the weeds there, but the state is supposed to have already released this information so that counties know if they're planning for a project, what exactly the state will contribute. But it seems like that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. We, so, uh, so Mako represents counties and this is the Mako podcast. So up front, I mean, that's our, this is our bill. But at the same time, um, we try and cover things in a global sense and, and not dwell too much on the county government perspective unless it's, you know, central to the issue we're talking about here. This really is put yourself in the shoes of the county budget person or the county executive or county council member who's trying to figure out what the budget ought to look like. You've got a school project that's in the queue for this year's funding. And ordinarily by this time of year, you know, okay, for the eligible costs, we know what those are going to be. And the state is going to pony up 61%. That's our share because we know the state regulations spell that out. Right now, you don't have that luxury. You know what the number has been, and you might have an idea where things might be going, but the Interagency Committee on School Construction has not yet passed their – they haven't decided what to do here. Right. And, and part of this is, I mean, they're trying to be sensitive when you revise the numbers every so often, and it's, I think it's supposed to be every two years. It used to be three, and now yeah. with legislation last right. year, it's two. Right. right. So, so we're in transition there anyway, but – 
But making this an every two-year renewal, you end up with some jurisdictions that come out, oh, well, you used to be a 61% county, now you're a 56% county. And hey, if you've got an $80 million school project and you just lost 5% of its funding, that's a big deal to your county for your next bond issuance or for what you do with this year's budget. So these numbers are a big deal to counties and our leaders and our budgeteers. Uh, so forgive us a moment for, for making a big deal out of this. Um, if this is a topic that's interesting to you in depth, our colleague Robin Eilenberg, uh, just wrote a pretty detailed piece on the Conduit Street blog. I'd recommend you take a look at it. She described this circumstance as quirky, and I think that's exactly right. We have not been, you know, I was throwing away Thanksgiving leftovers the other day. That's where we are on the calendar. Um, and to still be wondering what's going on with school construction costs, that's not where we usually are in the middle of December. Does that remind you of anything? Maybe our next topic after the break? I haven't been able to figure things out. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. Hmm, how about so that? So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll try and figure that out during our break, but we are going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the Commission on Innovation and Excellence in Education, the Kerwin Commission. Uh, back home. Yes, back home. <laughs> back home feels right. And then we'll get into some other news and notes uh, about the Department of Legislative Services and MAKO's half-day immersion training in Annapolis, where we welcome newly elected local officials and county professionals to learn the ropes here in Annapolis. We'll get into all that and more after the break. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale back here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, we had a meeting of the Commission on Innovation and Excellence in Education, also known as the Kerwin Commission, last week. And as you mentioned in our opening, we had thought maybe this episode would be focused on the Kerwin Commission. We'd have all the numbers. We'd have a breakdown of county-by-county fiscal impacts and how these recommendations would impact local and state government. We did get some cost estimates for yeah. all of the commission's recommendations, but we still don't have that spreadsheet you're looking for with right. the county by county breakdown. I mean, t- to their credit, uh, what we've got at hand now is a great deal more and more detailed than all the stuff we've seen from them to date. Very so, much so. so we've got more material to work with. Um, you mentioned county by county. There's an awful lot of there's an awful lot of stakeholders out there, us definitely included, who are fidgety on that front, trying to figure out how this how this moves money left and right as opposed to just up and down. But okay, so we don't have that yet. There's some specific reasons for that which we'll get into, but we we do end up with a bottom line figure to walk away with. Uh we've seen that in you know in a couple of the the, the news sites that have that cover Maryland politics and, and so forth, but a, a number of four point four billion dollars as their bottom line so far. So on, on a certain degree, okay, maybe 4.4 is the new 2.9. If if the old number we're replacing was from the consultant study a couple of years ago where they slapped together you know, 15 different recommendations or so and turned it into one big, big synthetic product of saying you need 2.9 billion, now there's at least something else to work with. 
um, 4.4 billion at the end of a multi-year phase in to do all these different things. And I know you've started to break down the components of that. Um, some of that is in the Kerwin materials. Some of it is laid out pretty well in the stuff that you've written up on the Conduit Street blog. Yeah. So I did post an article called Clues to the Kerwin Cost Split. You can find that on the Conduit Street blog. And essentially, Michael, without detailed county information, we did see some components in recent reports from the commission that preview what a state and county cost share might look like. And it takes some of the components that the commission considers most likely to be a split and it lays them out. And what I did is I just went through each of the various work groups recommendations and their final numbers and then pared that down and got to a point where I was able to develop some of the projections for what this might look like for counties. And the number that I came up with, the total number, is around $2.7 billion. So just about half of the number that they're talking about here. But the reason the commission can't give us detailed breakdowns of the numbers is because they've yet to decide a foundation amount. And a foundation amount is what the state believes every kid needs to be successful in school. And then, of course, we have various add-on components for children who have special needs or English as a second language, free and reduced price meals and such. But that's that baseline number that's so important and integral to calculating county by county breakdowns. And and we've yet to see it. Right. So, so we're doing our best with this. Um, If the, if the deep dive here is what you're looking for, I think we're going to skip most of that for the podcast purposes, but head to the Conduit Street blog, look for Kevin's article that, that starts with the word clues in its title, look for Kevin's clues, and that'll give, they'll get you on the scent of how this might be shaping up. Now, if you're just, if you're just there to see what's this going to mean for Washington County, you're probably going to have to come away with, all right, well, you know, Washington County is this percent of the total population. We're two and a half percent. So let me do the arithmetic on that. That may be the best you can do. But as a, as a practical matter, I think, you know, um, it's the best we've got at the moment. I'll say one thing that's frustrating here is that we've got, we've got a, you know, there's a bullet point on one slide and there's a mention in one paragraph that talk about a state local share. Um, to get to that, I, I mean, I, th- I think I've, I've, I've wandered into this lane on the podcast before, but to get to this idea that the county will have an obligation to fund X percent of whatever this new thing is going to be, it requires us to rewrite all of our school finance laws in right, the state. Right <laughs> now, we're, we're, we're just required to provide maintenance of effort, which is you have to spend as much this year as you spent last year. Right. So, so, so spend dollars per pupil the same as the year before, and that's an absolute requirement unless you get a special waiver, which you know, is probably a long shot. Okay, so that's the law of the land right now. Um, and if, if a county – you know, if county commissioners in one county said, we're going to give this extra money, but we want it so that you hire more French teachers, the school board does not have to do that. The county does not have line item control in the school budget. Right. So, so there's no such thing as the county's decided to fund this program or decided to hire this many new teachers. You can put money into categories. It's, it's such a weak system that hardly any counties even do that that anymore. The law lets you put money into, I think it's 12 or 14 categories, but that's as much level of guidance as the school, as the school boards get from county governments. Right. So, 
this this notion that all right we have these new ambitious things we want to do we're going to pay teachers more we're going to have them get some more professional development time meaning we're going to have to hire more teachers uh, we're going to do a lot of things with uh, with college and career readiness uh, we're going to we'll provide more technical education opportunities we're going to we're going to focus a lot of resources in areas where there's dense populations of of underprivileged poor kids I mean this that, these are all the big components, the big costly components. And I, I, if the idea is, okay, county pay your share, we don't have there, – there's, no, um, there's no mechanism for that. You've got to rewrite an awful lot of state law to do this. And I, I know this sounds a little bit technical, but I don't have any idea what that bill looks like. And neither does this commission. At least they haven't talked about they it yet. Yeah, nobody so. sat before them and said, by the way – there's no such thing in Maryland law to tell a county to fund a special ed program. There is no such thing right now. There's just a bottom line mentality. Right. So, so at the same time, there's whispers about there being accountability measures for outcomes and so forth. Uh, what happens between the county government and the school board under the, you know, the new directive of some new state law? is a really important dynamic and right now that is a big empty page. <laughs> it is. And and I think it's also interesting that being in the room when that 4.4 billion dollar number was announced, there were audible gasps and some were saying, "Man, yeah, that's a lot of money. What, what how, how are we going to 4.4 billion dollars. Right. I mean, like the state the state general fund budget for everything is 18." Right. So, so the idea of another layer of multiple billions on top of that—I mean, this is a—that's a big deal. Remember the good right? old days when we thought two point nine billion was a lot of money, right? Yeah, now exactly. It's yeah, four point four. Right. The, the other side of the room was saying four point four billion—that's nothing. It's you nothing, know? right? Uh, oh, we, wow. we should be investing like twelve billion. That's where we need to be. So it was a really interesting split. But Michael, in terms of four point four billion, is that a big number? Is that a lot of money? Right. I, I, so. Let's, what, let's just say, right, what would it take? Right. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's the only way to put a number like that in context. Four billions of dollars is just too big to digest in any simple way. Right. So, I mean, I, I was trying to like just envelope this and looking at the last revenue report for the state and saying, well, what if you did this and that and the other thing and so forth? So, Okay, like hold your breath and 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 listen to a a tax package like this. So l let's say you've got to find the revenues to fund this new initiative and and the price is up is up in the in the stratosphere that that the Kerwin commission is talking about. So we are a relatively heavy income tax state. Um and and compared to other states around us, we sometimes get pushback from the money magazine rankings and places like that. Uh Maryland has been sensitive to our income tax rating and and maybe that's a place where we'd like to squeeze down. But let's say for the moment we take our already pretty aggressive income tax rates and we put like a 10% surtax. You just pay 10% more than what you're paying today. So if your base rate is 5% now, it's going to go to five and a half and, and so on and so forth. So you do that. Um, everybody's familiar at state government. One of the workhorses is the sales tax, uh, with quite a lot of anguish back in 2007, we went from a 5% to a 6% sales tax. So let's say we take the next bite at the apple and we go from six to 7%. Uh, I mean, people really complained about doing a penny on the sales tax. 
we'll do another penny. So let's let's say that's part of this package. Okay, too, so so far right? we're raising the sales tax yeah, and ten, we're raising income right, tax. Big ten percent surtax on all your income taxes, and then we're gonna do another penny on the sales tax. Okay, I'm with you. Okay, now take all the various sundry like the corporate income tax and all the various things on insurance companies and power companies and other things like all these business taxes and let's let's just say maybe we do the interstate taxing more aggressively or we have higher rates for them we do surtax let's let's assume that we can get half again as much from all the business taxes okay. this is a pretty popular thing to do let's go after big companies there they can afford it that sort of thing so let's assume we we squeeze 50% more out of out of all those revenues okay and just for good measure, we'll double the tax on alcohol. Double the tax, tax on, on alcohol. alcohol. Okay. So that's another thing that people would notice. I mean, we, we did that. We made a change there not too long ago, but okay. So you put all that stuff together. That's a big move on income tax, a huge move on, on property, on, on uh, sales tax. Uh, you squeeze an awful lot out of the business community. And then you know, after you want to have a drink after all this, you're going to pay double tax on that too. Put all this stuff together. So I'm assuming, Michael, that gets us that's, way over. Right? Right, so that that's, us, that so that's probably the biggest tax package in Maryland history, right? right? Okay. Right. We're halfway there. Wow. All right. So, so like do all, that, that's the kind of stuff that you'd have to be thinking about to say, how do you get from here to Kerwin? If Kerwin really is a four or five or who knows, I mean, there's, there's still maybe another shoe to drop that could drive this number up, but, um, there's an awful lot of stuff that would have to be done to make the budget ready to handle another few billion dollars a year of spending. Right. Especially when we're facing a structural deficit, the state is in, in a few years. So while the budget looks great now and maybe next year, in a few years, we're going to have a much different picture in regards to the budget. And I, I think, Michael, that is a very, very interesting analysis. And we don't hear many people talking about exactly what it would take to get there. And everything that you just mentioned, these are massive tax increases in the aggregate. And so even all of that that you just talked about gets us halfway there. Yeah, and so, I mean, and, and, and that ignores a more complicated discussion about how could you, how could you cut $2 billion of spending elsewhere in the budget? I mean, presumably you're not cutting it from education because you're doubling down on education here. So that takes a big swath of that 18 billion gone right now. Um, do you end up saying, well, we're going to just do without most of our environmental programs? Are we going to cut the state workforce by a fourth or a third? Um, you know, what, what do you do? I mean, it's just like the way to find two billion, three billion, four billion dollars in. Just snap your fingers. No, this getting here to there is not easy. So, I mean, that's that that's meant to be an illustration um, and a little bit of a jab. But I mean, when you're a commission who is charged with one job, just look at all the things we could do. Uh, your job isn't necessarily to put it in context. That's going to be the legislator's job, but that is no mean feat. There's a lot of people who are, who are going to show up on day one for the general assembly session thinking this is the year I get to vote for this great package of school stuff. Um, the other side of that package is part of this too. And we've seen some of this impact on the commission. Dr. Kerwin, the chairman of the commission, asked commissioners during the last meeting to please try and find some ways to pare this back a bit, to, to cut some costs, because mm -hmm. I think he's very right. conscious of the fact that if he if he shows up with a report that has a seven, six, five billion dollar <laughs> price tag, 
people are going to shy away from it and it's going to create problems. So this new $4.4 billion number, I think I thought and you thought that seemed very low compared to some of the stuff that we'd seen before. Yeah, we were preparing for six or seven. Right. Yeah. And they did introduce an idea to maybe pare back some of the pre-K funding and instead of having three-year-olds go full day – maybe half day. And the commission was not having that. I think they're still working on ways to to save here, understanding that this is a big number and that they're going to have to get a bill passed. So there, there's, a, there's a few weeks to go with the commission. Nominally, they're supposed to be done with the report in January, or in, in uh, December. Right? Yeah, but you're, you're, you're right, though. It's most so likely I'm, I'm already mentally yeah. moving ahead toward we'll see the report in January and, and then we will probably, we'll probably pace the floors for a while and wait for an actual bill to drop and then the components of the bill will will actually be that's when the gun sounds for the real debate i think right i, I agree 100 so the the commission does meet again next week they meet on the 18th and the 19th these meetings are supposed to be final decisions but given where we are with the fact that they haven't set the, the base funding amount yet that they haven't figured out all of the <laughs> various components to the formula i don't see that happening i think they'll go into january this is a little bit like an advent calendar it's like every time every time you say the word kerwin you open up another little door and you oh oh we got like one little piece we yeah, got so one more little bit we'd so. have to have multiple advent calendars <laughs> right. if that was maybe, the case. maybe yeah yeah <laughs> Okay. So again, if, if you're looking for more detailed information on what a state and county share may look like as a result of this commission in a post-Kerwin world, check out the blog. We have some great content there. And Michael, let's move on from the Kerwin Commission. Do we have to? We love Kerwin. So you we, and I will talk about it. Right. Yeah, we, yeah. Well, we'll turn off the mics and we'll go for two more hours. That's what we do. Right. I'm sure that's what people think we do. That so. probably is. Unfortunately, that's what they think. So let's get into some more – some positive vibes here, Michael. I like it. Okay. So number one, Mako's half-day immersion training. And this is an event that we host – for people that are coming into county government for the first time, maybe they're in county government, but they've never been in Annapolis. For newly elected officials to kind of learn the ropes here in Annapolis, we had this event this week. And I must say, it was a great vibe. There was great energy. I met mm -hmm. some of the newly elected officials. I met some new county professionals. And we had a full room uh, upstairs in our MAKO offices. We went through Basically, you know, how the General Assembly works, how bills work and and how they move their way through the General Assembly. We talked about the right. budget. We went on a tour. DLS provided us with tour guides. We went through the State House. We went to DLS, to the committee rooms. We heard from committee staff about the budget and hearings. So really, it's a lot to take in. But I think it's really, really important and often overlooked. I mean, this is not PhD level right. information that we're providing, but there is a lot to learn just on how Annapolis works and how to get around town. Yeah, I think it, it, it's a it's a value for us to offer this, and sometimes we discount the we we discount the value there is in just knowing your way around town and and things of that nature. Just learning a little bit of the lingo and that sort of thing. Some I remember the, the shortcuts, right? You know, yeah, a little yeah. Annapolis to get up to the but state. But like, house. where you know, where do I park? And like, the, I mean, the classic first time Annapolis visitor question is, well, my Bill scheduled for one o'clock, so I'm planning to be leaving town by one thirty. Yeah, sad stuff, right? And so, like, I mean, someone needs to walk you through. By the way, all fourteen bills in that committee are scheduled for one o'clock. Maybe bring a book. Like, show up at one o'clock because there's a good chance they're going to walk you through. Here's the list of bills, right. and if you're number thirteen. 
take a walk, hope you brought a book. If you're number one, uh, you're lucky because yeah, you might be in and out quick, right? You, you, you're very lucky and that is a uh, rare occurrence. Right. Uh, and for us, when we have two bills there, it's usually we're number one and 13, right? That would be the typical yeah, that day is, for Mako. Uh, right? That's the worst. That's the worst. <laughs> so, yes, uh, dis- disregarding what we just said about the, the terrible nature of bill hearings and that they, they go all day and you never really know if you have multiple bills, if you're going to be first and last – Besides that, I think uh, it was a great day. Do you have something to get off it, your chest here? Yeah, I mean, it sounds you know, like a little I, bit. Okay. I do, but you know, maybe we'll talk about it later. <laughs> I, I think there's a better way. But in general, it was it was awesome, Michael, and and you know, the entire Mako staff participates. It's a great way for us to reach out and meet the new folks who will be in town, and for them to meet us as well. Right. So I like like all about that. And you know, you mentioned along the way our our, our friends at the Department of Legislative Services. That's the professional staff agency to the General Assembly. Um, they they were in the in the news this week uh, receiving an award for their process of providing everybody in town calls them fiscal notes i think they've adopted it as a fiscal and policy note uh, but in maryland every single bill that's introduced is entitled to a public hearing and is entitled to a fiscal summary that describes what the bill does and what the fiscal effects would be on governments, including local governments, and to some degree affected small businesses. And they do that in plain English, which is important. Yeah, Anybody it's pretty approachable. You don't it, right. you don't need to be and you know, even if it's a complicated topic, if you can't read the bill and understand what it's about, look at the fiscal note because frequently that will give you the like you know, here's the here's the two paragraph background of why this is a thing and the problem we're trying to solve. Uh, frequently, the fiscal note is a more useful document for a lay audience than than the bill itself. We're very much spoiled because in many sure. states, they don't require public bill hearings and they certainly don't require a fiscal and policy note for each bill that's introduced. Right. So I, I mean, I, I spend time with my colleagues from, from other states and their county associations in other states. And reasonably often, I bring stuff from our Department of Legislative Services, one of their analyses or a fiscal note or that sort of thing to describe a bill. And frequently when I do, someone from another state is, who writes these things? This is great. I wish we had this. So we are spoiled. We're spoiled by being in a gorgeous and fantastic state capital, which is just a beautiful place to live and work. But we also are spoiled by the exceptional nonpartisan professional staff who serve the legislature, but as a secondary, we are beneficiaries of their great work because uh, they, they are top-notch, top-to-bottom. Very much so. Very professional. Imagine all, the number of bills that they get and they have to turn around and, and create fiscal notes for. It's pretty remarkable the volume that they deal with. They just do a great job. So I'm, I mean, I'm proud that Mako, um, Mako individually, we respond to fiscal note requests on their behalf. When they know that there's an issue that affects multiple counties, they'll reach out to Mako and they'll sometimes credit us for information they put into fiscal notes. They also reach out to county governments directly and there's sort of a rotating process to do that. So, I mean, it's, it's the right way to go about this to you know to, to to share that burden across jurisdictions but then you hear back from dorchester county this bill would affect what we do in our jail and having that be in the fiscal note for the committee is really important information for them um, that that shouldn't be part of a lobbying process right i mean mako will sometimes say this is a problem for us but the nuts and bolts of how do you implement this bill and what what it would cost that ought to be 
from a neutral party, and DLS knocks it out of the park. DLS is on a roll lately. They, they got this <laughs> award. They have a new website. I hear they have a pretty decent podcast. Yeah, Mike. they're rolling with their podcast, too. We, uh, we, we featured one of their, one of their early efforts uh, on our feed, and, and now I'm listening to their stuff. So lots of nuts and bolts on the DLS podcast from their website as well. It seems like there could be a future collaboration there. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah. All right. I love ending on a positive note. So we'll end there, and that'll do it for this episode. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe. Give us a like. It helps us get our word out. And Michael will be back next week to recap the latest news and events. Again, the Commission on Innovation and Excellence in Education doesn't meet until the 18th and 19th. So we might not be able to talk Kerwin next week. I'm sure we'll find something to discuss. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll be watching that stuff. So I don't know. We may have to do like, you know, an emergency podcast on Friday afternoon. I don't yeah, know. maybe a live podcast from right outside the, the commission. Mm. Or maybe after the commission meets, we hop on a plane and do our live podcast from Guam. Guam is crushing it also. They, <laughs> they just got a bunch of Tiger Grant funding. Oh, transportation so, money. Yeah, yeah exactly. they're building roads. They're, 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 they're investing. They're shovel ready down there, man. Yeah, got to be good to live in Guam. <laughs> All right. On that note, Michael and Kevin signing off. We will talk to you soon.